welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and this is a fun episode. I have my friend, Farouk. We met at a Cosmic Gravy show in Starkville, Mississippi at Dave's Dark Horse. I'll let you uh, introduce yourself, but the way that I know you is uh, you're a fan of music. I am. And uh, you, you work in physics. Yeah. Is that fair? So, yeah, I came all the way down from Egypt. I, uh, I work as a research assistant here at Mississippi State University. And I have uh, a wide spectrum of interests. It starts from physics, which is the most fundamental science. And it goes up to music, reading about history, uh, so many different stuff. I just, I live for my own interest, which basically is collecting knowledge. I just want to know more. This is kind of... Right on. And yeah. so, just to start with you, uh, from Egypt. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit about growing up uh, there, you know. Like, so, what were, yeah. you, what were you into? What was life like there? Uh, I, I, uh, I've grown up in the very far north of Egypt in a city called uh, Kafr Sheikh. Actually, I, I've grown up in a very small village in that city. My father is a farmer. Uh, the... The society there, the, the culture is pretty different. I mean, structurally speaking, it's so entirely different than what's typical here in the U.S. But it was fun, though. Um, Would it be like what, I guess, Western-minded people, uh, as ignorant as they are to it, would it be a caste system? Caste system? Caste, like... There are tiers of people, like uh, classes of people. I mean, everywhere, yeah. everywhere. This hierarchy is everywhere, typically. But, I mean, every society has its own conservative type of people, right? The, the more far north you go in Egypt, the more conservative you find, or either the more fast you go, it's pretty kind of countryside, farming-based cities, mm -hmm. in which you can find so many farmers. And around that, you don't find so many well-educated people, just so many religious people, and just conservatives, mm -hmm. right? But you can always find those people that you can talk with and have a very interesting conversation with, and it really started with my family. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I had, and I still have, and I do appreciate that, some kind of free, open family. It's just my father, my mother, and my brother. That's it. We're four members, and we have this kind of unique friendship between us, all of us. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't frequently exist in Egypt that a guy can just make friends with his father and just walk around. Mm. It doesn't, doesn't frequently happen. But it did happen for me, which helped me a lot. There was some kind of open communication channel with my father. And the guy who, he, like, till last year, 
he was a guy typically responsible for all my expenses. He was paying for all my things. So, yeah, also for music, actually, I kind of inherited this, inherited this from him. Like, I still remember every day as a kid, I, uh, I woke up and he's like, he's sitting by the balcony. He's having his cup of tea and a cigarette and playing a little radio in which he plays classic Arabic music uh-huh. or even classic English music, Mozart or something. And I just as a little kid, just go there and sit just next to him and listening, just enjoying the view. The sun is going up, it's morning. And that time I started really feeling music. Yeah. That point. And from that point on, I felt in love with music. Do you remember some of those bands or, or who you were listening to at that time? Uh, I'd be lying if, if, if I say I remember. But typically they were all classic music like around 50, 60 years ago. Okay. Either Eastern or Western music. Okay. Yeah. And we still have these cassettes for them. And we actually still have these two radios and they're still working till now. But now they're kind of antiques in the oh, yeah. in our house. We don't use them. They're just there. You know, even now, like some of uh, some of my favorite musicians, uh, they'll still put out a cassette tape. Oh, yeah. And they might just put two songs and it'll be like a one-off, something that they thought was good, but they didn't want to have on the record. Yeah. And so they'll put it out on a cassette. And it's, it's kind of wild because, I mean, finding a cassette player today is, is kind of difficult. Uh, you know, it used to come standard in your car. Yeah. Or, I mean, even in your, your radio at home, your, your boom box or yeah. whatever. Uh, but even, like, with vinyls and things like that today, I mean, those kind of vintage things are coming back. But I believe the thing that people are finding is, like... Authentic. It's very authentic. Yes. And when you, when you sit down with it, it's meant to be played in order. Yes. And it's meant to be listened to in its entirety. I Instead of like pulling it up on Spotify or what have you, right? Yeah. And you're just picking. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, real, that's real interesting. So as you were growing up, uh, just a little bit about school, like how would you find uh, your love for science? So also... I've been lucky that uh, my uncle is an engineer, he's a civil engineer. Uh-huh. And when I was a kid in elementary school and middle school, uh, he was already a, an employee in some, uh, I know, Arabian Gulf country, Saudi Arabia, something like that. He was a big engineer already over there. Uh-huh. But he gave me his books. Okay. So I had all his books from the Faculty of Engineering in Alexandria, Alexandria. And I started reading out. I'd be lying if I say I, I understood the thing at that time. I was barely 10, 12, something like that. But I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed reading about so many interesting stuff, like why the apple falls to the earth? What is gravity? What is an electric field? What is a charge? Why the electron is negatively charged while the proton is positively charged? I started to think about these things. Uh, 
there were not many resources available because, you know, Egypt is underdevelopment country. It's a third world country. And it was basically a school in a village. Mm-hmm. But it went okay till I finished high school. It was a pretty high score. Then I joined a pretty fine institute uh, for my bachelor's. Over there, I, I owe much of what I know now to the people who taught me out there over these past four years. And just to give me an idea, like yes. these, these institutes, these universities, were most of them represented in Cairo? Yes, yes. So this institute is called Zuel City, and it's named after uh, the late Nobel laureate Ahmed Zuel. He's an Egyptian uh, chemist. Mm-hmm. He worked here in Celtic. He, uh, I guess he awarded the Nobel Prize in 1999. Uh, and the people who work at this university used to work here in the U.S. in the fine institutes of U.S., MIT, Harvard, uh, Brandeis University, mm-hmm. universities like this. Uh, and yeah, they are all centered in Cairo. This one basically... Like, we were around just 20, 20 minutes driving from the pyramids, which is around the edges of Cairo, actually, in, in a place called Giza. That's okay. why they call it the pyramids of Giza. Uh-huh. So we were there. Yeah, we were deeply downtown. So what did that mean for your family, to, for you to have those high scores to be able to go to these institutes? Like, I mean, that had to mean a lot, right? Yes, yes. So first of all, this institute is highly expensive, but I've been lucky to get awarded a fully funded scholarship, so I didn't pay a penny for it. But I awarded it. I deserve it because I passed their examinations and stuff. So I had it. But being away from my family, it was not the first time. I used to work in summer on vacations out of home. I used to go to places and work for two, three months, make some money and just come back. This might help with the expenses of the house or something like that. This is how my father and my uncle have been grown up too. And this is how I've been raised too. This is a point. Like was this, phys- was this physical labor? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So like farming? Yes. yes. And the market, like holding stuff, mm-hmm. carrying stuff. So it was not the first time to be away of my house for like two or three months. But being in the university, I definitely didn't stay the whole four years as just one period of time. I was going back and forth. For example, I'm staying in Cairo for one month, three weeks, going back, visiting for a couple of days, taking some food, something like that, checking out, and coming back again to my studies. It was back and forth, typically like like that. But I, I pretty much from my junior year, I was on my own. I was paying for myself. I was working online, teaching online. So I made some good money at this time. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me a lot for applying for PhD here in the U.S. Because applying for a PhD in the U.S. is cost-effective. For, for, for a single application you throw for any university, at least you pay 60, 70 bucks. So, 
And so when you came over here, you already had your degree? Uh, you didn't come over here to study? I came here with bachelor's. Okay. I graduated college last year, and I was already accepted here in Mississippi State just before graduation. So I just finished my bachelor's and traveled from Egypt to here to continue my graduate study. Okay. So now what I'm doing is graduate study, not, not undergrad, and typically I'm working as a research assistant. Okay. Yeah. And so just back to Egypt is like, just, just to talk about like, uh, and we spoke about it briefly uh, yeah. before we got going, just between you and your friends as you were growing up, like music and like, what did y'all do for fun? Yes. We did so many different things for fun. So, so far, the people who I call friends, uh, I'm so appreciated for these people. I'm so, like, it's, it's even hard to put in words. They are more than brothers, okay? We spend, we spend days and nights with each other. I know, studying, going out, we're friends. Like, the boys, you have your own gang, mm -hmm. right? That's right. This is the point. Yeah, so, it doesn't matter where you are. Yes. That's, that's always the thing. Yes. So, most of them were physics major. Yeah. And we pretty much understood each other. But we had other friends who were not physics major, like material science major, business, engineering. They were all, and they're still, very good people to know and to chat with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because our, our undergrad institute was pretty tough to take a degree from, the study was pretty hard, it demands, like, it demands dedicating huge amount of time to get good grades, mm -hmm. to really understand what's going on over there. So, this actually was kind of an obstacle for us to have a little bit of a social life. Mm -hmm. We had our own social life, but we weren't, we weren't lucky enough to have enough time to go out and do everything that was available to us. However, we did so many things. Uh, smoking, that's one thing, sit down and smoke talk about so many, so many things. We visited so many places, we went to so many places. Uh, it was kind of, it, it's even hard for me to reduce this whole gigantic relationships to just certain events. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate the whole package. You get my point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's that way here too. I, I think about the. I came from a very small town and a very small high school. We graduated with I think twenty seven people in the class, and we literally from kindergarten, first grade, all the way up to twelfth grade is like we were in each other's houses, and uh, their parents were like my parents. Like if I needed, if I needed uh, discipline. Uh, those parents would do it just as well as my parents yes. would. And so 
uh, when we graduated, we would lose touch. And then I went on uh, to community college in a brand new batch of friends, mm. in a brand new batch of kind of hanging out. Mm. In a bigger city, Tuscaloosa, where the University of Alabama is, and like you had bars and everything else, yeah. right? Yeah. And then <clears throat> after that, I would join the workforce for a while. And then I would go back to university down in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. And, like, I totally understand that. And I lived down in Mobile for six years and had to make a whole new batch of friends. And, like, what you were saying was... Yes. It was like a whole new gang. Yes, yes. We had our own apartment. We rented our own apartment in which we all lived. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came late for this event that I'm going to talk about right now. But it happened... We lived with seven cats. We fostered. It was at the beginning, I was not there. Mm -hmm. It was uh, at the first quarantine period. Uh, they found, a couple of my friends found uh, two small cats. One of them, uh, one is a female and the other one is a male. And they grow up, they married, they got five kids. And we had to live with seven cats in the apartment. <laughs> it was fun. I cannot tell you how fun was it. Uh, I don't know much now about these cats, but this was one thing, yeah. But pretty much we spent all our time together. Pretty much everything. Studying, discussing about everything. Literally everything. Mm -hmm. um, and we're still in touch. We still meet. For me, I, didn't, I did not meet any of them from in the past seven months, eight months, because I'm here in Mississippi and they are in Rochester, New Hampshire, Florida. Well, they're you know, all over. Yes, they're yeah. all over. Some guys in Russia, some guys in France, some guys in Italy. So they're all over the world. But we plan. We plan to meet some guys. I'm going to meet them in December. I'm going to go back to Egypt for a month on mm -hmm. uh, New Year's Eve. So some people I'm going to meet there, some other people I'm, I will have the chance to meet them before this. I don't know yet, but definitely we didn't lose, uh, we didn't lose connection. We keep in touch with each other. We still have group chats. We chat yeah. pretty much every day. Yeah. Because this, I, I don't think we can get away from each other. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this. And, and so when you were picking out what college and the... United States, uh, why Mississippi State? What happened is, um, at that period, so many things about the academia were affected by the COVID crisis. Okay. Some universities actually had to shut down their admission programs. They just said, no, we are not accepting any students this year. You are on your own. So this really raised the competition between all the applicants all over the world. Okay. So, for example, instead of 500, I don't know, I'm just throwing numbers, but instead of, for example, 500 applying for the whole grad school of some certain university in the U.S., you would find five, seven, ten times more. This is huge competition. This is huge work for the people who are working on the admission committee to filter out. So the chances were pretty small for any of us. 
I came here basically, I accepted the offer from Mississippi State because there was a guy I was meant to work with him. But when I came here, I found that he already left. He accepted me so we can work. We could work with each other, but he already left. And when I talked to the university, they said he has no intention to come back. So I had to stay. I had to stay. I came here for a reason to do what I am interested in, but I I have to coexist, right? Mm-hmm. I have to face it. Now I'm here. I cannot just quit and go back, right? right? So I'm gonna I gotta chase chase my uh, my chances again. Go to some other place, maybe where I can do what I'm interested in. I uh, typically when I was applying to PhD. Uh, I considered many universities all over the U.S. And I was targeting these universities for two reasons. The first one is these universities have good departments, good physics departments, in which I'm sure I'll find what I am interested in. The second reason is we were the fifth batch in, uh, in the Whale City. We had four batches before us who applied here and got accepted. It's known in, in, in this, in the whale city, that the physics, the physics major is, is, is kind of gate in which you go four years, you get pretty high education, you get very well educated, mm-hmm. then you have all the chances in front of you to travel to Europe, to the U.S. to get your Ph.D., why? Because you are a fresh graduate and you are well educated. You can compete with them here, with the fresh graduates here, with the U.S. fresh graduates. You can fairly compete with them. Mm-hmm. So this, these were basically the two reasons why I came, uh, why I came here. Yeah. And so, uh, just a little bit about your experience uh, with Mississippi. Uh, we've we've got that AC. Off here in this apartment, it's a little warm. It's it's, it's I'm sweating. It, yeah, it's July. It's hot. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your first impressions of Mississippi. Like, what, what was it? A big culture shock or no? Not at all. Okay. I don't think so. It's. I mean, I'm an I'm an open-minded person. So, oh, yeah, dude. Like, when I met you at Dave's, like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like there, there's a particular type of people that are at those shows. So, right? yes, so, uh, so I didn't, I don't think I had this kind of culture shock. However, there's so many things that I basically, I basically am not used to, I'm not used to. Mm-hmm. In Egypt, but here, for example, I don't know naive examples. The traffic's man, you hear the respect the traffic's and the roads very much. If you are there in Egypt and you are passing the road, the chances of you being dead are equally to the chances of you being alive. It's fifty-fifty. It's you either pass or not. Mm-hmm. Here, no, you must look right. You must look left, and you must go while there is no one out there, and all pay attention. No, it's not like that in Egypt. That's one naive example. But the city itself is a calm city. It's a very calm city. It really is. And it reminds me a little bit 
of my birthplace of the village. It's I mean the construction itself is entirely different. Yes, uh, the ar- the architecture, everything. Yeah. But the calmness, the city being calm, this is what I'm used to since I was a kid. You know, of all the SEC uh, schools, uh, Starkville and Mississippi State, it's very uh, quaint, very quiet. Yeah. And um, I I really like that because I grew up around Tuscaloosa, and Tuscaloosa is a very... Dynamic city. Dynamic city, yeah. yeah. And then you come over here to Starville, and it's real, just kind of quiet. And so I'm from a small town, so it's easy for me to be here yeah. because I, I like the quiet. So I see what you're saying, but I'll never forget the first time that uh, I traveled. Uh, I've been... Uh, and it was this way in each country, uh, Guatemala, Chile, uh, traffic there, mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Yes. 50-50. And like, if you want in, you honk your horn and you jump in. You just go. And like, you'll see the guys on their dirt bikes and they're just whipping in and out of between cars. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I was like, this, it's like It's this like is, GTA. This it's is, a video game. Yeah, this is madness. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But one thing that I'm not used to, or at least I'm, I'm beginning to adapt to, is the temperature. So in winter, in Egypt, maximum it can go to, I know, 5 Celsius, which is around 5 Celsius, this is, this is the lowest temperature that you can feel. This is when it's really, really cold. Really, really cold. This is around uh, maybe 40 Fahrenheit. That's what I was going to say, 40. Yeah, yeah, 40, something like that. But over here, no, it reaches negative 5. No, I'm not used to that. Like, I put all my clothes and go out and I still feel cold. Yeah. Okay. Also in summer, in summer it's hot. It's hot in Egypt, especially in late years. In the past four or five years, it can reach till 94, 95. But with one crucial difference. No humidity. The humidity level. Here it can reach to, I know, 80% over there now. So actually it can be 95, 94 in Egypt and you still walk in the street and it's really fine. Over yeah. here, still 80, 75, I don't know, 80? Sweating. You're sweating all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I always joke about the humidity. It's almost as if you could, if you were to take a deep enough breath, you could get a drink of water. Yes. It's, that's how thick the air is. Yes. Uh, with liquid. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, just back to Guatemala, I went there in the summertime, and it's very close to the equator. Uh, and I remember it was 100, 105 degrees, and we were out working. And, you know, we're in the community, we're, we're building uh, buildings, and we're just helping the community out. And I remember uh, a guy, a friend of mine, who had been there way more than me, and he said, make sure to drink a lot of water. This isn't like Alabama or Mississippi. He was like, you won't know how dehydrated you are because the moment the sweat hits the skin... It it, it's it, it evaporates, yeah. and so he's like, "You won't know how hot you are." 
He said, just be mindful because like the moment you get dehydrated, you'll have a headache and then you're going to pass out. <laughs> and, but like here is like, you're well aware. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, what about like, you know, just since you've been here and, and, and have been studying, um, like. I don't know if you can project, but where do you go from here? I got all the time on my own to think mm-hmm. independently about my own life. This is one crucial thing that I didn't very much enjoy in Egypt. One other thing is, now I have so many cool friends all over the world, not, not, not only American friends. Yeah. I have friends from China, I have friends from Iran, I have friends from Nepal, I have friends from all over the world now. Mm-hmm. I have more connections, professors, doctors. Uh, it's like it's a journey full of gain, right? On the academic on the academic side. Yeah, what would you want to be doing? Do you want to be research or do you want to be teaching or what does that look like for you? So so far as far as my PhD is concerned, I just wanna learn about physics as much as I can during this period because PhD is a period dedicated for a person to get all the education in that field and every people is willing to help you and they do so for me now I don't really mind teaching or doing research but definitely to get a PhD to get your degree you must do some research you must publish you must work on your own on some projects however you learn much much of what you do you just learn it doesn't matter from where you start because research is like here's here's the difference between teaching and research teaching is like I'm telling you pre-answered questions we have already we have written already textbooks about these answers uh-huh. but research I'm telling you about questions that we don't know the answers for yet you go find it right so you think about it you go find it so you might be challenged by the idea that oh from where should I start it's research it's like a dark room and I really don't know it doesn't really matter yeah, start from any point just start yeah you're filling around yes just start yeah. Just filling around piece by piece, it's like, it's more like a puzzle. You know, physics was the only... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. A subject that I failed in high school, and it was my favorite subject. Mm -hmm. I didn't get along with the teacher. The first day of that class, he was a brand new teacher at my high school, and me and a couple of friends thought it would be cool to disrupt his class (laughs) by wrestling at the beginning of it when the bell rang. He did not appreciate that. And so I was in that lab, and the lab was like 30% of your grade or something like that. I was immediately kicked out of the lab. I was banned from the lab. And then when we took the test, you had to show your work. And so what I would do, just because I knew it wasn't going to pass anyway, I would work everything out and leave the answer and then erase all my work. Because I knew I was going to fail anyway. Yeah. And yeah. so I went on to summer school, and lo and behold, the same teacher was teaching it at summer school. That's awful. And, and I blew through it. And he was like, you really get it? And I was like, I got it the whole time. It was like, you were just being a dick to me. And yeah. so I, I didn't respect you. Nice. And so like, I failed that class on purpose, detriment to myself, but to prove a point to you that I don't care. Pretty much, this is a point about physics. If you, a lot of math. If you're gonna, if you're gonna divide, like, people are two types. About physics, people are two types. Mm-hmm. Those who understand physics, those who love it, and those who didn't entertain the opportunity of having a good teacher. That's it. If you, if you were lucky enough to have a good teacher teaching you about physics, because physics is nature. It's all about, mm-hmm. it's all around you. I'm just telling you what's happening around you in the physical world. I'm not telling you something that you can only imagine in your mind. No, this is reality. This is, this is the subjective reality you interact with. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, you, if you were lucky enough to have this good teacher, you will love it. You will love it. Nobody would hate to understand how things are working around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this yeah. is the point. I mean, like even then, because like, I like math, and like, there's a lot of math in physics. Yes, like, you know, calculus and all my math classes, I excelled. And like, when they looked at it, it's like, you you messed up physics, and I was like, on purpose <laughs> because of him. I would have taken it more serious. Yeah, you know, we just didn't hit it off. I, I wish I could hit the redo. I wouldn't have wrestled. I would have, you know, like, <laughs> I wish that you know, too. Yeah, you know, I would I would have done it differently, but yeah. I, I can't. Uh, but I've I've always enjoyed it. Of uh, it's because it, it, physics really helps the world make sense whether I pick the top of this up and drop it or if we were calculating velocity or just whatever that is like physics really accounts for it and you can know exactly tit for tat yeah what happens yeah yeah and so uh, I just wanted to this is kind of a hot topic now that they fired it back up I did want to talk to you a little bit about the CERN project over in Geneva, uh, uh, and we, we can get into it. So, uh, in layman's terms, just being as simple as possible, 
what are they trying to do over there? What's their goal? So, here's the deal. Before talking about CERN, let's talk about why CERN exists. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. So, we have physics, and physics is kind of a consistent scientific framework in which we can explain reality mm-hmm. on a mathematical basis, equations that can predict what happened, what's happening, and what will happen. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, typically, our most successful theories are called quantum field theories. Okay? So, to tell you how successful these theories are, let me give you this naive example. Let's assume that you are a scientist calculating something for an experiment mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. I'm the experimentalist and you are the scientist. You are telling me if you have your device set up on these coordinates and you do one, two, three, you would find the result to be 3.23. I take your words, I go to my lab, I set up my device and I fine tune my device till the maximum accuracy and I find it to be 3.2. So you, and I come back to you. Oh, I found 3.2, not 3.23. And you tell me again, go ahead and find it again. You will find that it's it's Mm 3.23. I'm like, I start to doubt you, but I got the first result correct. So I I hear your point. I go again and I find tuning my, my, I refine my experiment again. And yes, I find it 3.23. Now, the, the level of success I'm talking about for quantum field theories, it's not about 3.235, something like that. It's this theory is in agreement with the experiment till the 13th digit. Okay. Imagine you're telling me a number, 0.13th digit, and still getting this correct in the experiment. So... This is by far the most successful theory in all human science. This theory basically assumes that the whole universe is fundamentally made out of fields. It's not like a rice field or a wheat field. It's more of... Electron. Yeah, it's more of abstract field that fills in the whole universe. And these fields... When it oscillates, you have some kind of ripples, like the ripples on the surface of the water. These are what we call particles. For example, the electron is just an oscillation in the electron field. Uh, And so on, the photon is an oscillation in the electromagnetic field. So, after having this very successful framework, we had to design experiments to test this theory to the limits. Mm-hmm. So this theory predicts that the whole universe just is made of certain number of particles. You can reduce down everything to 61 particles. Just 61 That's particles so made everything out. 
everything in the observed universe. And let me tell you what is the difference first between the observed universe and the whole universe. Uh-huh. The observed universe basically is what we can observe about the universe. So, so far what we know, this universe was born from a Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. Mm. And like the whole universe is in what we call space-time fabric. This is like the whole background of reality. This is where everything happens. Space-time basically... Would you, would you describe that as just a big sheet? No, it's not a sheet. Okay. It's not a sheet. A sheet, if you're talking about the sheet, it's two-dimensional. It's like oh, a piece of paper, right? It's way more than that. So, yeah, it's way more than that. Let me tell you how, how or let me give you an idea about it. So, you see this phone or the ball. Yeah. It's 3D. Yeah. It has a shape, right? But to really observe it or move it, you must have one more dimension, which is time. Now we call this an event. Oh. So, the whole background for this event is just three spatial dimensions and one, one time dimension. One, two, three, and an event. Yes, which we call the space-time. It's kind of the, the very basic fabric of reality. Okay. So, um, the observed universe is what we can see. We can see so far through two ways. First one is through light. You shine light on something, light goes there, bounces off, comes back to your eye, and you can see. Rods and cones. Yes, but definitely you cannot, I mean, to see a very distant galaxy, you cannot see it by your bare eyes, naked eyes. No, you need a very huge telescope with very fine and refined instruments to see that. But basically, it depends on light, Mm -hmm. right? Light comes out from that galaxy to you. But I just mentioned that the whole universe is expanding. Mm -hmm. So there are some places on the edges, the very far of the universe, from which light can never reach you out. It's trapped out there. So you never know about it. So the universe is kind of two parts. The observed part and the part that we can never observe. Because that light hasn't come to us yet. This is one reason. The other reason is... This is something called the ordinary matter and something called the dark matter. We call it the dark matter basically because we cannot see it. This is why I was talking to you about light. Okay. We call it the ordinary matter or the visible matter because we can see it. The dark matter, this term dark, because it's, 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 it's about the fact that we cannot see it. Okay. It doesn't emit light. Okay. How did we know about that dark matter? We had... We had are very successful theories about the dynamics of the galaxies, how stars rotate in the galaxy and so on. So it's, it's actually very simple. Imagine you have a stone tied up in a rope and you are swinging it in a circle. Mm-hmm. The longer this rope, the slower the stone is, the shorter the rope, you will find it like going fast. Mm-hmm. The shorter the rope, the faster the stone is circling 
around this point. Well, I mean, it would be the difference between like just how fast Mercury rotates the sun versus Earth, right? I mean, is this is a, a small is system. A, yeah. This is yes, this yeah. is this is one point, but this is a small system to compare. I'm talking about yeah. the the I'm talking about, We're talking the, about the universe. Yes. Typically, I'm talking about the stars near the center of the galaxy compared to the stars on the the edges, okay? So, we would expect that the stars on the the center rotate way faster, Mm. way faster than the stars on the edges. But experimentally, they're approximately the same. That's a very odd result. That is. It is. So, you you gotta rethink your theory again, right? Because your theory, you're pretty sure that your theory is correct because it works for planets, it works for the sun, it works for Earth. But why doesn't it work for these stars? So you got to assume one more component, which is there must be some other source of matter that you cannot see, but it does cause some kind of gravitational ball on these stars so that yes that's why we call it dark matter so actually they invented this term in a hilarious way I don't think they call it dark matter when they thought about this proposal but as it is the same situation as most of the hilarious names in physics it just at first came as a joke the big bang some guy in a conference said to a scientist so what the universe came from a big bang. He said it in a hilarious way. And, but yeah. And it's no, stuck. No, it's stuck. It's stuck. No, we call it dark matter. But now at least we have a reason for it that it doesn't emit light. So it's dark. This is one point. This is one thing that we assumed. And so far, we, are, we have a... We, we have so many different experiments all over the world searching for dark matter. So far, we didn't find anything. We have so many candidates for the for the particles that can represent dark matter, but so far, we didn't find anything. There is a hope on CERN to find this, but I'm going to go over there, but let me go on. Mm-hmm. One other thing is, I mentioned that this universe is expanding. Okay, let me tell you this. If the universe started from a point and everything just exploded out in every other direction and there is gravity and we sense that there is gravity and gravity basically acts in one direction. It's an attraction force. It always attracts you towards the center. Mm -hmm. So now you have two things going out. The expansion the force from the expansion, from the explosion, and the gravity that pulls this explosion back to the origin. You would think that gravity, by the end of the day, gravity would win, and the whole universe should collapse again. But it's not. But it's expanding. It's actually expanding, and the far you go, the further you go, the more, the faster the expansion rate. The further you go in the universe, the faster the expansion rate. So you gotta assume another thing for your physics to work, which is dark energy. It's not matter now. It's some sort of energy that we also don't see, but we believe it's there. There is no experimental evidence so far about it. 
But we see, we just postulated this, we postulated this kind of dark energy to explain why the universe is expanding and it's expanding in an accelerating manner. So like from going from dark matter to energy and you correct me here if I'm wrong, but we would say that gravity is more of an energy. Is that why you preference gravity to it? Gravity is a force. Force. Gravity is a force. Okay. <coughs> and so <laughs> it got so complicated after Newton died. Newton basically bought this word he, force. He was framing it. Yes. But he didn't define <coughs> accurately how we think about force. What is a force? So we had to make things even more complicated to understand what forces are. My point from this discussion was to tell you about how small percent this universe is. The observed universe or the observed matter is around 5% of the whole universe. Mm. The other 95% is dark matter and dark energy, which we know absolutely nothing about. Till now. Imagine, from all the science, from the theory that predicts everything correct till the 13th digit, we're still pretty much trying to figure out just 5%. Just 5%. Yeah. See? It's like a drop in the ocean. So now here comes CERN. Mm-hmm. CERN, the idea actually started, I think, late 50s, late 60s, something like that, to build accelerators to smash particles together, together and see what's in these particles. We can break these particles because because once a lot of people find it dangerous. Do you find it dangerous in a so controlled environment such as that? There are so many conspiracy theories. And so I don't, I don't want to derail like you telling what it is, but I, I did want to bring that up because a yeah. lot of people are really scared of it. Because they don't know. Yeah. People are scared of things that they don't know things about. That's what fear is. Right? That's what fear is. But it just... Yeah, there might be some mistake. Something might explode. But definitely there will not be a black hole that swallows the airs. There won't be a huge nuclear explosion that destroys the whole solar system. Some conspiracy theories claim that. No, it doesn't just... It doesn't make sense. Okay. This is science. These are protons. Yes. Right. This is science. This is this is so far the most successful tool for all humanity. Not religion, not ethics, not music. It's science. Science. Right. It's science. Mm -hmm. This is the tool we advance using. So, with humanity or like the physics, the physics community started thinking about building accelerators Mm -hmm. just to smash particles together to see what's going on inside these particles. So, around 2010, 2007, something like that, I really don't remember exactly the date, CERN started working. They built a huge accelerator, huge, I'm talking about. In Geneva. Yes. Actually, there are two main, I guess, two main accelerators, one called Atlas and one called CMS. One is in Geneva, Switzerland. The other one is in France. 
and these accelerators or the whole CERN is can be categorized into two types of instruments accelerators and detectors accelerators are basically huge circular channels mm. in which you eject and accelerate beams or particles smash them together the, the products of this smashing of this huge collision reach out to detectors these detectors can detect whatever fraction come out from this collision and analyze it and see for example we we observed this this is small tiny particle of mass this number and charge this number okay let's see let's check our theory what's going on and we we find that this we predicted this particle on paper on a piece of paper theoretically mm-hmm. long before this is this the god particle yes yes so the huge the huge leap for CERN was from 2011 to, till 2013. Mm-hmm. Actually, the story goes long before this. At 1964, we had this question, which is why some particles have mass and why other particles don't have mass? For example, the electron. So far, I didn't talk about the nature of this particle. I'm going to come to this. But my point is, the electron, for example, has a mass. But the photon doesn't have. Why? Why? There is a legitimate question. Yeah. Right? So, at 1964, very successful theory... So predicted, the, the, yes. The, the negative has a mass, but the positive doesn't. Am I right? No, I'm talking about the photon. The, uh, photon, the photon is yes. The He's photon neutral. is neutral. Yeah. Yes. The photon. This is this is the particle of light. Okay. 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 The proton itself. Uh, I think you miss. Uh, proton. Uh, yes. Charged the proton is yeah. The proton is positively charged, but it doesn't have a mass. Okay. I'm talking about the photon itself. So, Peter Higgs and his colleagues formulated a very successful theory. This theory predicts the existence of some particle. They didn't name the particle then. They didn't name it. But this particle had a very important job, mm-hmm. which is to interact with some species of particles to give them mass. That's why the electron has mass and that's why the photon doesn't have mass because this Higgs boson doesn't see photons. It does not interact with them. That's okay. why they did not acquire any kind of mass. Okay. And this took them from 1964 till 2011 till 2012 to observe this particle and confirm its existence. Wow. This is, this is, this is what? This is the most remarkable result that took this time to get confirmed. But it got confirmed. And it must be there. Otherwise, our all physics is wrong. It must be. We knew it. We were just searching for it. We knew it. We believed. Because otherwise, there is no explanation for so many pieces of physics. Yeah. Sometimes, you ask the right question. That was the right question, which is, 
why some particles have mass and why some other particles don't, don't have mass, this was a legitimate question. And we know there must be an answer. Once we reach the answer and it made sense, mathematically it made sense, we are 100% sure that this particle exists. You just have to find it using the correct instruments. Mm-hmm. Just build up the experiment and have the good technology to do it. It took us that long to do it, but we were sure. Physicists were sure that this particle exists. It must. Otherwise, the whole physics collapse. And we know. We know this physics is true. And so they found that back in 2011 and 12, right? And so now with CERN, what is their main concern? Like, what are, what are we at? What are, what are they after right now? Are they, are they taking that the Higgs particle or the God particle further to further figure out what goes on with it when they collide these? So, typically, now, <clears throat> back then, actually, the maximum energy that they can use was limited. Okay. I guess it was around, uh, I don't remember the number, but now, right now, 13 point something billion electron volt this is a huge amount of energy if you can imagine this is a this is so far this is this is more violent than the sun this is more violent than the sun you can see in the wow and they are yeah yeah so now we're very hopeful to observe and know more about these particles uh-huh. there are other theories that predicts other particles. We might find them, right? It might take us some time to fine-tune our parameters, our range of energies, and set up our instruments right to get these particles. We might find them. There might be something out there just waiting for us to be discovered. Uh There is a huge hope on this third run after three years of uh, shutting down, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, right on. We are approaching the one-hour mark. Mm-hmm. I would like to ask uh, three more questions, and uh, we'll walk it out. We'll turn the AC back on, and we'll cool off. Yes. Uh, Farouk, thank you so much for your time. Uh, question number one. What was your favorite part about this interview? Um, I don't want to say physics because <laughs> it is. Oh, you can. I mean, your but, eye, your eyes were uh, right. <laughs> But when I talked about my friends, yeah, this definitely is uh, is is a favorite part for me. Home is not about land. It's not about soil. For people. me, home is the people. Is the memories you make, is the good memories you make. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's my friends. So, question two is, uh, what, are, what are your plans? Uh, I know you said that you'll be returning uh, to Egypt for the new year. Yeah, uh, for a month or something. We're five months away from that. Yeah. What are your plans for the summer? Do you have anything special planned for the summer? This summer? This summer. You gonna you gonna go anywhere? You gonna go see anything? Uh, I know, and 
I know. You know, as a grad student, we don't get paid much. <laughs> yeah. So we are pretty limited in our options. But I'm open. I'm open to go anywhere. I'm, uh, I don't have any plans in mind, actually. But If, if it works out, I've got a couple of things I, I want to. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I want to drag you along sure. with me. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm thinking maybe in the Shelby County Fair or something. Oh, yeah. I think that would be quite the experience. I'd love that. It's coming up. Last weekend in July. Mm. Third question is, uh, I hope you will. Uh, would you be interested in coming back on the show? Yes, sure. Yes, sure. Right on, brother. All right. Well, let's walk it out of the door, and uh, thank you once again for coming on. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right.
Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.